0: Welcome to another episode of the Performance Strategies and Stumbles podcast with me, your host, Dan Howes, and we go on a unique journey of back-to-back week episodes with one guest talking about a specific strategy in week one and a specific episode dedicated to mistakes and stumbles in week two. Today, we have Dr. Stephen Thompson joining us, who is a specialist in the use of velocity-based training. So without further ado, let's head straight to the episode with Stephen. I've got Dr. Steve Thompson with me today. Steve, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. So we're going to be speaking about a very specific performance strategy in this first half of the episode before we get on to your stumbles in your career. Yep. So just talk to the listeners here, share a little bit about what we're going to be talking about, what strategy. Um,
1: so we're going to talk about VBT, so velocity-based training, um, an area of real interest of mine, um, something that I've studied for, for a long time. My PhD was part of, part of, that, um, kind of that, that area. Yes. um and it's something that i incorporate a lot within in the coaching that i do um so we're gonna, we're gonna touch on a few different aspects within b b t today
0: great and and i guess for you the number one reason uh that you're using it uh is it, i guess is a com- form of communication between you and the athlete right
1: yeah that i mean it's it's multifaceted really there's there's lots of reasons um feedback and communication and and kind of intent driving is is definitely one of them mm. For me, um, the main reason I use VBT is because it provides me with a flexible programming strategy. Um, nice. it, it allows me to auto-regulate. It allows me to listen to what the person in front of me is saying on that given day and deviate from whatever roadmap we've we've already planned out previous, whether that's a, a micro, meso, meso macro cycle, um, a, and allows us to be flexible in the way that we program. Um, nice. I, I'm, I'm I, I fully believe VBT is a complementary strategy. So I'm not one of those people that, that kind of thinks VBT is the be all and end all. It should complement some of those traditional methods that we already use, i.e., periodization. I think it's very mm. much founded a- around that. But without that periodi- without that, sorry, that flexible programming, I feel like periodization doesn't do enough to take into account the kind of the physiological, the psychological, sort of status yeah. of, uh, of the athletes that, that walk in the door on, a, on any given day.
0: Nice, and I, I just had a, a reflection of a, a tweet or something I saw online recently about you know, why does VBT, why does uh, RP, reps and reserve all exist? Well, it exists because there is a biological response to a stimulus that's different between individuals, and therefore percentage-based lifts as such aren't going to work in a very, I guess, uh, ecologically dynamic, Team environment or athlete environment, which is probably most athletes aside from maybe a weightlifting uh, sport in itself, where percentage base will come into play a little bit more. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So we're going to dig into three specific strategies here. And what I'm really excited about for everyone listening is that all this can be done without even profiling an athlete using VBT. And I think everybody sometimes falls into the trap of I've got to characterize things. I've got to assess somebody first before I can use VBT, which is. Incorrect. So, just share some of the areas we're going to dig into today specifically.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I think it's important to kind of preface that with, um, you know, VBT. There's a spectrum of VBT applications. VBT is, a, is an umbrella term. It's, it's, uh, and within that, it's a number of different approaches that are, that are multifaceted and flexible. Um, and, and the most immersive is your profiling and your, your full-on programming with, um, with VBT involved. And that's a great, that's a great option. But Often than not, and certainly some of, from the, some of the research that I've done, um, coaches, athletes, they don't feel like they have the time to go that immersive. Um, and because of that, I think there are some simple simple solutions to still being able to auto-regulate, to still being able to utilize VBT and get the best out of your athletes on any given day. So the, the three areas that I typically focus on um, that requires no of that preamble profiling is some simple monitoring. Um simple feedback mechanisms and approaches and then velocity loss which kind of links to to volume control. Um, So from a monitoring strategy um from a readiness to train or from a, a an adaptation perspective, VBT can be a really valuable tool. So we can utilize VBT to to identify um manifestation of fatigue or um, improvements in performance in and physiological adaptations from a strength, power, conditioning perspective. Um, and the reason I like VBT, the reason why I like I like velocity, is because it has a direct neuromuscular function. When we break down mechanisms, when we break down kind of the mechanical principles of of, of human movement, often we are left with force and velocity. Now, if we can measure one of those relatively simply that has a direct link to our physiological um, mechanisms and the way that we produce force and the way that we adapt, then I think we're much closer to to really understanding what's happening under the hood than if we're taking something like jump height, like readiness to train questionnaires. Not that there isn't a place for that stuff and not that force plates don't give you a whole host of information and actually, you know, these days they're quite accessible. You've got some really good companies out there that, that um, provide really easy to use and, and get and extract easy sort of useful data. But I think from my perspective, if we measure barbell velocity, that's going to directly link into the session we're about to do. So we can sim- do some real simple stuff like, for example, we might bring our athletes in and we might do um, five unweighted jumps with a dowel or with a 20k bar, measure peak or mean velocity and just simply track that over time. And all that does is allows us to monitor that output on a regular basis. And if we see any dips, any sort of um, dips that we're concerned about, and we can threshold it if we want. We can say 10%, 15%, 20%. Yeah. Um, but if we see any noticeable dips in that data, all that does is sparks a really useful conversation. Now, I'm not the sort of person that advocates if you dip by 20 by 20%, you must change your program by X because it just doesn't work like that. But what it does do is it flags up some issue physiologically and physically that you as the coach can then go and explore further. And I think it's a nice. really powerful tool.
0: So this, this looks like you're monitoring the freshness over fatigue presence in an athlete's mm-hmm. current athlete status. Um, you're using it as a tool that uh, I guess will drive a little bit of competition between athletes in a given Im- environment, which will, will probably add to the validity of the information you're collecting. But essentially, you're collecting that information and really happy to adapt, push and pull based on what you see in front of you. So let's say we do have a situation then with your athletes who come in and they're, they're, thr- they're gone the other way. They're really positive. That's a positive adaptation potentially. Are you sticking to process in that case with your program? Or are you going, wow, okay, there's an opportunity to chase something more here? What yeah, happens I, I, at that end of the data?
1: Great question, and I, I don't see why not. I think all of this information that we're collecting just adds to the the overall equation of what we're trying to do as SNC coaches, and that is improve someone's performance, whatever yes. way we choose to try and do that. So, if there's mm. a day where we come in and suddenly those velocities have increased by twenty percent, again, I'll have that conversation. You feel you feeling good? Yeah. Do you want to do you want to yeah. chase a bit today? Should we try and push you on a little bit today and see if we can get some new? Incremental loads. See if we can get some new PB. See if we can get some new velocities on similar loads, and all of that mm. dictates to evidence that, that our interventions are working and that our athletes are getting better. And I nice. think one of the really one of the key things that I see missing in a lot of in a lot of programs when it comes to to strength testing is the that sub maximal load and standardized load and measuring velocity. If we boil it right back to to Newton's laws of force equals mass <laughs> times acceleration. If we know that mass is fixed and we increase acceleration, therefore force has to go up. We know that force is a a byproduct of strength and therefore we can say this person has got stronger because they're moving the same mass quicker. Um, And and all that does for me is it provides a solution to those people, those teams, those coaches that perhaps don't like taking their athletes up to 1RM for whatever reason. And they're they're all legitimate reasons. I, I, I still very much support one in testing i think it has a place but there's plenty of times and plenty of environments where it just doesn't fit and i think this is definitely a halfway
0: house for that does this come into the feedback element with the athletes
1: um i think it it kind of it's probably not um sectioned off in that way i think it 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 links into that a little bit i I would bracket this in with my testing and my monitoring so if i was going to do pre-post testing for example I might do it that way if I couldn't do one RMs or I couldn't do a full profile. But then also, you know, you're still getting, if you use VBT properly, you're going to get regular data from every session in key lifts. Mm -hmm. So you can still track change over time in many different ways that is much more holistic than that you're going to test today.
0: So in your monitoring bucket, you've got not only this classic pre-session jump neuromuscular assessment, where are they in the freshness fatigue scale, you're, you're also carrying that Principle of monitoring through to a session, by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. So, if we go back to the pre-session, just for the listeners, then if you do have somebody who's trended down, mm-hmm. maybe out of uh, what would be expected, something yeah. abnormal's happened, and you've got this suppression of physical qualities, and you have this drop below a threshold that you see as uh, a bandwidth of normal for them. What's your go-to approach from that point on? What are you modulating, accommodating in that instance?
1: So as I mentioned, first thing, have the conversation. Hmm. Why has this happened? What what, what are we owing it to? Has it been a tough week? Has there been excessive sessions? Have there been hard sessions? Have they had crap sleep? Have they not eaten well? Are they feeling ill? And I think that information then feeds into the next sort of, sort of chain of decisions in terms of what we're going to change. If then we get to that point where we are going to change, um, I would think about the block of training that I'm in am i trying to get after volume am i trying to get after intensity i think typically and from my own anecdotal experience with athletes they can they can manage intensity better than they can manage volume and actually pushing intensity or sorry not adapting intensity but stripping out sets often renders a slightly better feeling at the end of the session than if we brought things down but still look to to work to the same volumes um and also you know if we get into that first working set and that load is feeling it's moving really slow and and that athlete is thinking i haven't got this in me then maybe we pull that back a little bit as well but it's it's very um iterative you know it's very much right let's use our feel let's use our coach's eye let's use our conversations with the athlete to try and figure that out as a as a team as opposed to me just saying right this is what you're doing
0: nice and i think that resonates with me where i've used vbt in the moment before where We've seen quite early in the session from a monitoring point of view that this doesn't track with what's expected for this athlete in the context of the world or the situation we're in. We're in a training camp. It's not excessively high volume. We'll have a conversation. There's nothing untoward that the athlete thinks has gone on differently. But we go, do you know what? I'm going to retain intensity and strip back volume in a a mini taper approach or a a deload approach Mm -hmm. and just see what the, the response is from that. Yeah. You talked about the... The Newtonian laws and and you know if we can move the same uh, mass of uh, for, the, for an increased velocity, we can assume that somebody's got stronger. And I think that's almost one of the simplest ways to use VBT That's often not honed in on in actual training sets. So yeah, how are you doing that? And and is it just simply a great awareness from you in terms of knowing your athlete's norms? Because I look back to my time in baseball, <clears throat> it was brilliant to show guys pulling a certain amount of weight off the floor. Mm -hmm. at 0.2 meters per second greater than they were two months ago, I haven't had to 1RM at all. I can Mm -hmm. show them that there's a positive adaptation there. So how does that come to life practically for you?
1: Yeah, so I think I would probably approach it in two separate ways. I would do the more official, right, I'm going to pick a load that's appropriate for this individual, an absolute load, whether that's 60, 80, 100, 150, whatever their strength levels are. Perhaps maybe looking, if we're going to try and, link it to a a percentage of one RM, maybe something around the 80% because I feel like 80% is a nice load for people to lift. It's something to push against if we're talking a squat or whatever, um, but it's not too heavy that it's really gonna cause much much fatigue if we're gonna do single reps. Um, But I would still pick an arbitrary kind of uh, absolute load and I would track that pre-post intervention or pre-mid post intervention to make sure that things are moving in the right direction. But then I would do it a little bit more unofficially where I am just simply tracking loads at, at, at given key exercises for given set ranges. And you kind of, if you then plot that on a graph over time, you, you will see trends. You'll naturally see the trends in the velocity, whether you take set veloc- sorry average set velocities across however many reps or you take max velocity from each set from a given day. Um, or you do something in between. Um, okay. I, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. It's whatever fits with your kind of ideas.
0: I think that's that's useful for the listeners to hear because I think people associate data with a rigid process of collection. And actually, it's the execution that's the rigid process. And actually, you can essentially have movement speeds at 80, you know, 80 kg, movement speeds at 60. And you can still, because of the linear relationship of BBT, of velocity and load, you can still work out which whether there's an adaptation from doing two different things, essentially, right? And I think that's probably, it, it's useful to give the listeners comfort that, that, that monitoring is that. Monitoring is training, training is monitoring. It's not testing. It's not defining success or failure here. So collect the information, the insights, and I guess go back and retrospectively look at it. Yeah. So we, we're going to get into other areas here like feedback and velocity loss. We have touched on feedback somewhat, but more specifically, how do you use it for feedback? So feedback is, is
1: a great, it's a great plug and play type option for BBT. Um, it, it allows you to create intent and movement within an individual, create competition within that individual, so kind of intra-person in, uh, competition, but then you can create really great environments with within team settings where there's leaderboards, there's competitive streaks, and there's, there's competitive kind of, almost like gamification, I suppose, of training in a sense. Um, and, and we all know how competitive athletes are. So I found in, in the settings that I've used it in it to be really, really beneficial to create healthy competition. And, and it's, it's great for buy-in. It creates so much buy-in. you know, working in, working in football for, for many years as I have, um, notorious, certainly with younger athletes, notoriously then they're, they're not, they don't want to lift heavy loads or some of them don't. Some of them do, some of them get high and they love it. Others don't, and I think if you if you flip the uh, the focus on, all right, I'm not so worried about what's on the bar, but I'm worried about you moving this fast. And you give them a different focus, a different target. I found I found that they kind of buy into it a lot better. And and that link between moving fast in the gym versus moving fast on the field or on the court or whatever it is computes a lot better with individuals, athletes than moving heavy in the gym and slow is going to translate into fast, which we know doesn't always cross over anyway. Um, So feedback is great for just buying, competition, moving with intent, um, and just, you know, what's your number, right? 1.2, can we move it faster? 1.22, can we get 1.24? Just giving that constant feedback. Um, And there's research out there that that suggests, there's a a really cool um, review from uh, Jonathan Weekly, who looks at all different types of feedback uh, mechanisms and and finds that any feedback is better than no feedback it increases yeah. it improves performance acutely and chronically um, and then if we actually give visual feedback over verbal feedback that pushes it on and improves it a little bit more as well um so it's it's such a strong tool that again maybe doesn't get used that much maybe doesn't get used in the right way within our field as 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 good as it could do as opposed to you know the typical verbal encouragement of go on move it faster keep pushing that kind of stuff that you know once you said it a few times athletes probably just tune it out Mm -hmm. Um, and this is tangible information
0: yeah it sounds like with all feedback it's probably more powerful when related to education and understanding as well for the athlete yeah Yeah. so i thought like you you plowed out some numbers there i'd really love to dive into that before we get into velocity loss if that's okay yeah so a lot of people seem to get lost in this binary like threshold of 0.5, 0.6, 0.7, 0.8, et cetera. From my experience, and I'd love for you to critique me on this, I actually try and move out the middle zones a little bit because athletes seem to get confused in that space. And if I'm yeah. lo- looking to use it for feedback, I want to make sure that they understand exactly what it is. So, you know, I work in that, you know, 1.2 is my sort of uh, speed strength side of things as, as explosive as possible. 0.8 to 1.2, I might use for some more strength, speed, ballistic work as such. But then after that, I'm, I'm moving straight down to the strength realm and I want guys repping in the below point fives for the end of set schemes. Mm. How does that fit with what you do and, and what do you use as your guide and thresholds that the listeners could take away practically? So again, there's kind of a spectrum with this kind of stuff. And
1: I I often get asked what's best practice for VBT and and I, my my political <laughs> answer is always best practice is whatever fits yeah. your environment. Um so if you're in a position where you can profile, profile, get get real targets for that individual, set thresholds and do it that way. That's by you know definitely the best way of doing it. Individualize it, set thresholds based on that that data um and, and do it that way. If however you're not in a position to do that, which a lot of SNC coaches aren't. We can go down the kind of the I think it was Brian Mann's zones that you mm. just described there, and we can be quite blanket yeah. with that. And they're fine; they they work to a certain extent. I think the 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 happy medium between the profiling and that is to to try and find and there's lots of literature out there now. Find some literature in a in an exercise that's similar or the same to you, and use those thresholds because typically what you'll find is you'll get from 30 to 100% in 5% increments with specific velocities to to focus on. And then you can make some real tangible and objective decisions based on that information. And and, and again, you don't have to go through the rigmarole of profiling, but you can still get that information. Um, Just going back, sorry, just just while you you Hmm. mentioned about the, the kind of the polarized approach, I would definitely advocate that. And I think you're right. There is confusion. I suppose it's a bit like, um aerobic training, the polarized yeah. polarized and the you know mm. the, the the kind of no man's land in, in the middle. Um it, it, i think it works in a similar way. If if you're looking to to utilize it for power, go go light and fast. You know, really try mm. and push them into from a from a mean mean percentage uh, sorry mean velocity perspective, you know, above one and, and try mm. and push them on. If it's peak velocity it might be you might be aiming to get up to three, three and a half, four, yes. something like that. Um and then likewise in the max strength area, yeah, you want to be down at sort of 0.5 and below.
0: Um, but I was always trying and make that as individualized as you can, if you can. And I think then the third strategy we wanted to dig into with some practical takeaways for the listeners is this velocity loss. And I think this is probably an area that I've struggled with because I've just not had somebody telling me, like you're about to now, <laughs> how to use this specifically and precisely. And i played around with a few things, you know, 5% drop, 10% drop for power work. Obviously t- heard about the 20 to 30% velocity loss for strength gains, et mm-hmm. How are you using it? What would you advise for people to do in the most simplistic way, biggest bang for buck?
1: Yeah, it, it's not too dissimilar to, to, to that, to be honest, Dan. It's, it's a case of understanding the spectrum of velocity loss. And I think, again, one of my... One of my kind of it's not a bugbear, but it's it's something that I've recognized within SNC is we are great at individualizing and auto-regulating intensity. But for some reason we don't seem to do the same with with volume. We seem to say if we're going to work at X percentage, we're going to do, you know, your classic five by five at 85% or whatever. Velocity loss for me takes away some of that um, ambiguity and it allows us to again listen to the neuromuscular systems of the people in front of us and program accordingly. So I think as as long as you understand the spectrum, the, the, the heavier sorry, the, the 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 greater the velocity loss, 35, 40, 45%, the more metabolic um, muscle adaptations you're gonna you're gonna elicit. So you're going down the hypertrophic type route. And then the the smaller the the percentage loss, so your 10 percent you're very much doing small volumes, it's going to be explosive, and you're probably looking in and around that power impulsive area. Um, you're right, 20 to 30% has been been pretty much agreed upon as being a, the right sort of area for, uh, for strength gains. But again, there's kind of a bit of a sliding scale there with individual responses.
0: If we hone in on that then for the listeners, practically, mm-hmm. you're coaching me, I'm on the bench, I've got yeah, 100K on the bar and it's moving. Are we looking at first rep velocity and then we're tracking that change? Obviously, there's some mathematics to do there sometimes.
1: So normally these days there are in all the apps, it'll do it for you. Yeah. So all the the the, the decent, the ones that I've come across yeah. have a velocity loss setting. So I would always go off best rep. Now, there is a caveat to that. And the reason I say go off best rep is because often... And
0: best rep of that set or best rep at that weight historically? Best rep
1: of, 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 that, of that set, of the set. Yes. Yep. Um, because typically if you take like a deadlift, for example, and you're doing a touch and go type, type movement, yeah. that first one is always going to be slower than the second. So you yeah. want to give it the best option to then get the, the most out of the set. But the caveat of that is they have to be familiarized, habituated with moving with maximal intent. Because if you start going up and down within a set, that's going to throw off, throw off the velocity, blocks. yes um, but yeah I would go with best, I would go with best reps, so the fastest rep, and then let the, the, the technology say when you've cut by 10, 20, 30, 40 percent, 40 percent you're getting close to failure.
0: And let's say we take that example, 100 kg, we're moving at 0.6 six on that first best rep. that's what looking at a 1.2 drop off at 10, at 20 percent, is that right? 4.8 no. meters per second yeah so you want to see me getting down to four point eight meters per second in my last reps, would you be using velocity loss then to say keep going until we get beyond thirty percent or how does it prescribe for you so I would the again there's two probably two different ways you could do it
1: um yeah. you could you could say right, I want you to do x amount of sets in this session on this lift. Reps are determined by velocity loss. Or you could say, I want you to do X amount of reps within this session. Sets are determined by velocity loss. Hmm. The research, albeit not very much on it, suggests the former. So this, the, the sets dictating the number of reps is a better option. Um, and that's the, that's, that's fixed, the option. Fix,
0: fix that is. Yeah. yeah. So
1: you might say, you're going to do five sets. The number of reps is determined by the velocity loss. That's, that's nice. how I would typically use it. And I would simply say, right. If your aim is, you you know your hundred k you you're lifting at at zero point eight or whatever it is, um you want to drop by twenty percent when you hit that twenty percent drop off sets cut, keep the same load because hopefully what we've done as well is we've done some kind of intensity auto regulation at the start of the session which means that hundred that hundred kg is right for you on that given day, and yeah. then we go into the velocity loss for those three four five sets or whatever it is we're doing in the day.
0: Uh, nice example there. So does does it need a specific starting velocity? How, can you get it wrong, you know, like look for a thirty percent velocity loss, be way too light and therefore
1: Yeah, I've I've got I've got evidence of that. You know, I've done that <laughs> myself in terms of yeah. worked with with individuals that perhaps don't understand their own strength or don't understand just, you know, are new to training. Um mm. and we've aimed for sort of three, four sets of, in my head should be around five to six and they're going up, you know, they're in the 20s. Mm -hmm. Now that's a good educational piece for that individual because it shows them they're a lot stronger than they think. And actually there should be a hell of a lot more weight on that Mm -hmm. bar. But yeah, it's a bit of trial and error. It it all comes back to understanding your athletes, understanding what they can do, what they can lift and just trying to track over time. If you get an athlete through the door, you're not just going to stick velocity loss on them and say, right, I'm going to nail it in this session and we're, we're good to go. Yeah. There's going to be teething problems. There's going to be a bit of exploration to make sure that the starting velocities, as you say, are, are right. And then the the, yes. the preceding velocity loss works.
0: Amazing. And if we just wrap up then with the power side of things, which is probably a bit cleaner because we know the intent is there. Yeah. Are you looking at using like five to 10 or is five like a um, a peaking strategy and 10 is an accumulation strategy, you know? I know it's tough for you to say, but these are the questions people have. So yeah, cool to hear your thoughts.
1: I would say, so I would probably go, I don't know if I would go much lower than 10%. The only reason I oh. say that is because I think anything lower, you're getting into the muddy waters of what's measurement error and what's yeah. actual, you know, true velocity change. Um, and I think 5% is such a small number that I'd be apprehensive. You know, they might do one rep or they might do two reps or whatever. And then you think, yeah. okay, that does fit within power, but then maybe that extra rep, that three rep, would have done the 10% and then we're in a better, slightly better stimulus for that yeah. individual. So,
0: yeah. I guess if we're using a load that is eliciting a fatigue through reps, then it's probably not in a peaking phase anyway. And True. so that 10 percent's probably probably golden. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much. I know we're going to go into part two soon and look at your your performance stumbles. I'm really excited to hear that. But thank you so much for digging into three key areas very specifically with some real practical uh, insight for everybody who's listening. So thank you so much on behalf of everyone. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. So, a great episode there with a huge number of practical takeaways for Stephen, not just for you as listeners, but for myself as well as a practitioner. I hope you're enjoying the format of the podcast. We'll listen and hear from Steve again next week. But in the meantime, if you've got any feedback, or you can like, comment, and share on the podcast, and share it to your networks on socials, that's very much appreciated. And I look forward to sharing next week's episode with you.